Breaking news. Tell us, Joe. Russia's gonna no. Russia's <laughs> gonna lose. No, sorry, Russia's gonna win. No, it's gonna lose. It's gonna lose. Sorry, I heard it from Boris Johnson. No, but, just this week. But that's what the, that's been the news nonstop for. 10 oh, sorry, months. sorry, sorry. Russia's gonna win. It's going to win. It might win. That would be breaking. Terrible, terrible. That would ter- be breaking ter- the mold. Yeah, yeah. I was devastated by that news during the week um, that Russia might actually win. I actually now, fell was, out of my chair. Yeah. It was complete yeah. news to me because um, I've been following the Western media for, mm. you know, all the way through this past two, two months, two months almost to the day, is it? 24th April? Yeah. It is to the day today, yes. Two months to the day. I've been following, uh, you know, religiously updates every oh. single minute oh, of sure. what's going on. And you I was, con- yeah, well, I was convinced. Uh, I mean, the, the only information that I needed to know was that uh, I got it from the Western media and it was that uh, Russia was losing, first of all. Within a few days of them starting, uh, the idea was that they were going to take over all of Ukraine in a few days. Like, I mean, they would be in Kiev. Putin himself was going to be in Kiev, you know, with his foot on Zelensky's back, go and take that, you dirty Ukrainians. And then by the third day, when that didn't happen, it was like, well, it was clear to me and to everybody else in the Western media and all Western governments that this was a complete disaster, that uh, Rus- the Russian plan to do precisely that, to take Kiev yeah, in, in, two, three days. in two or three days, yeah. was obviously wasn't going to happen. Uh, they had run into serious problems. Um, it was totally misguided, totally wrong. The, Ukra- the Russian military was completely crap. I mean, Devastated. They're basically they like wasted. horses and carts, like, yeah. you know, really. That's yeah. all it was. They, had they ran out of fuel, food. Of fuel. The locals yeah. hated them. The frostbite. Uh, um, the old frostbite was getting them. Um, it was minus one, I they think. They lost contact with headquarters back in Russia. It was yeah, terrible, yeah. terrible. I remember wasted. 20,000 yeah. dead, dead Russian soldiers. Yeah, within a few days, yeah. And uh, the frostbite was, as I said, I've been out in minus one as well myself, and it's terrible. Like, I mean, there's no way. Like, even a tank wouldn't, wouldn't keep you, away the minus one. You still have all yet. your fingers and toes. I do, but I uh, got in pretty quick. Like, But right. uh, those poor Russian soldiers, like, I mean, just, well, yeah. that's what you get. You know, you take on Ukraine, and it's uh, yeah. frigid temperatures of minus one, and that, that's it. Forget about your military invasion. Yeah. It's over. It's done. Like, So anyway, uh, as you so, can imagine, with all of that, it was uh, to my great shock and and dismay, really, that um, this, uh, this just this week I heard Boris Johnson, who I rely on religiously for uh, the, the absolute truth about things, uh, told me via the media, told me kind of, I felt that he was personally letting me know because I think he knows that I've been keeping up with everything, everything he's been saying. And, uh, <laughs> he he told he, he more or less told me that it's possible. He didn't know. He didn't say. He did. He did soften it a bit in the sense that he said that they might win but nonetheless he said he sounded defeated Russia Russia could actually win this war and uh, I don't know I just it threw me into a fit of depression really and um, I'm still trying to get out of it well Um, don't worry we're going to try and get you out of this show it'll all be good news Uh, yeah yeah because it's not going to go what Russia's not going to win that's what you're telling me they're not going to win ah shit no they are going to win damn it but there's good news there is good news what's the good news we're going to get Russia in the end. The EU has said that they still expect Putin's regime to fall by the autumn. The right. re- regime, regime change in Moscow. By September. Democratic okay. dawn will arise. I'm going to hold you to that now. Mm-hmm. September, I'm putting it on the September, calendar. Yeah, October. I'm putting it on the calendar. Uh, it's just a matter of time because the, the ruble is in free fall and the Russian economy is tanking. Right. Well, it's not, but... If you said enough... Just pretend it is. As as one distinguished uh, Financial Times <coughs> reporter put it this week, um, the ruble's not in free fall. It's actually fully recovered and is on the rise again. But that's due to artificial man-made reasons. That's, right. that's nothing to worry about. The, the, market, the market and the reality-based market is still on. You mean the sanctions side. are working, right? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. As long as the sanctions are working. So we'll get him in the end, but after we lay waste to the whole Russian economy, you know. Right. We'll get him. Right. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Let's pull up the Financial Times uh, write-up of Boris Johnson's shocking, shocking comment. Um, he was in India, actually, um, with the, the, the Gollywogs. The Raj. They're probably lecturing them on what they should do in Ukraine. Um, bad idea. Uh, headline in Financial Times is from April 22nd, so that's Friday, two days ago. Boris Johnson concedes Russia could win war. And another news item is included in the headline and proposes sending tanks to Poland. Right. Even uh, though it'll, it, it could, well, you could read that as Russia could win the war unless we send tanks to Poland. So send the tanks to Poland. Uh, yeah. Let's read a bit of it. Scroll down there. The UK has proposed to send tanks to Poland to allow Warsaw, well, that's kind, to pass its own tanks to Ukraine. Boris Johnson said, as he became the first Western leader con- to concede Putin could win the war. The British Prime Minister, speaking during a trip to India, predicted grueling months ahead. Months? Hang on a second. Months? What months? Uh, it's supposed to be done by now. And said it was possible the conflict in Ukraine could continue until the end of next year. That's not supposed to happen. Anyway, the UK government has been reluctant to send armoured vehicles directly to the Ukrainian government, but he said Western countries needed to look at what more they could do to military and economically create, quote, wave after wave of intensifying pressure on Putin. Wave after wave of tanks heading eastward. It reminds me of something from history, but anyway. um, Johnson outlined a potential backfilling manoeuvre whereby the UK could compensate Poland if it provided its own T-72 tanks to Ukraine. Right. Mm. Asked if Russia could win the war, Johnson admitted it was realistic. It was a realistic possibility, adding that Putin was determined to grind the Ukrainians down. Russia was also very close to securing a land bridge in Mariupol. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's done, but... It's kind of funny how these guys, yeah, uh, just aren't based in any kind of reality whatsoever. I mean, they obviously don't keep up with... Well, they kind of are, but they're very late to it. Yeah, yeah. But even even so, the broad picture, you know, I mean, it, it's it's what they want to believe. There's wishful thinking going yeah. on across the board and this kind of stuff. And it's, it's bizarre because obviously that comes out in the media. The media just slavishly... Uh, repeats what, what politicians say because they all want to believe um, that uh, that what they say is true uh, because they've all decided on this narrative quite a long time ago that Russia, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is absolutely unconscionable, illegal, unjustified in any reality and, uh, and you know, it has to, it has to stop and that, I mean, we've talked about this before. I know, um, uh, you know, the scene has been set. The, the ground has been laid for many, many years now in terms of demonizing Russia and Putin in particular as the epitome of all evil. And therefore, it was just a, a, a no-brainer that whenever, if Russia invades a country or starts a war against a country, it's going to be immediately uh, pitched as, as the, in the blackest terms by the West. But... Um, it's, it's still kind of shocking, I suppose, for me anyway. It, it is shocking the detachment that they have from, from reality. And we'll go into, we'll have more details, more areas of that detachment yeah. of, from reality. And we're not even taking sides here. We're simply saying, yeah. just report There's, what's actually happening. 
You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying that you have to be pro-Russian or pro, you know, supportive of Putin, but just report what's happening. Mm. But they don't do that, you know. Um, and it's yeah, it, it boggles my mind. But anyway, and this is from the media, right? This is from the so we're all, we're kind of well, people who listen to our show will know we're being facetious here. <laughs> to a large extent, but nevertheless, I mean, this Financial Times reporter. So it, it's it's its tone of this article is is critical of Johnson. So it's criticizing Johnson mm-hmm. from the point of view of we ought to do more. You know, pressure, <clears throat> there's pressure on Johnson as well to do more. So just to clarify, in their own worldview, which is you know largely echoed throughout major um, Western outlets, yeah, Boris Johnson's statement was the first admission. Yeah, by put it back up there. It continues where we left off, actually. This is, this is their own framing of why this is significant, why you are supposed to pay attention to this. Boris Johnson's statement was the first admission by a major Western leader that Russia could triumph in the war and marks a significant shift in his own rhetoric from just weeks ago. It also breaks with the united front G7 leaders have, have shown since the invasion well, began. Let me just A senior EU official said Johnson's remark was ridiculous. And, and would make Kiev is that it was, it's ridiculous because it would make Kiev irate, and is it also that it breaks with the United Front G seven leaders have shown since the invasion began? So, I mean, where, where's where's the reference to whether or not it's true or not in that? Right, this, this analysis just says that it's 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 different. It's, it's very different from what they were saying before, which was that Russia's going to lose. Russia's going to lose. Russia's doing terribly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now the, he's saying the opposite, and it's going to make Kiev irate that he's saying that, and it breaks with the United Front G7 leaders have shown, which was that Russia's going, to, Russia's losing. So okay, that's all. Uh, that's telling us some facts, but it's missing an important point, which is: is Johnson's statement in any way? related to a more truthful assessment of the situation. Uh-huh. That, that's what the media is meant to do, right? That's, they're meant to tell us. Yeah. But why, why isn't that in this article? This is the Financial Times of, of all places, for God's right. sake. I mean, yeah. They do very reality-based stuff when it comes to the financials, of the, right. the impacts of this war and the sanctions and counter sanctions. Right. They have been realistic <clears throat> when it comes to money because the people reading it want to know, well, what's my money going to do? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so they can be realistic, but on these pieces where they just do politics and war, it's just a hopeless. But is there a tacit admission, therefore, within that? Even Again, it's not. it should be spelled out, but they're not allowed to spell it out because it's part of the information war, but it's basically saying that this is an information war and you're not meant to tell the truth yeah. during war. That's the problem. He, but, he broke the fourth wall, so to speak. Right. But does that imply that these people are convinced that if you lie, it'll become real? It'll, it, it'll impact what's actually happening? If, if you misrepresent what's actually happening, i.e. say the opposite of what is actually happening in terms of it being verifiable, looking at the actual details, you can see what's actually happening in Russia, for example, that Russia is pursuing a plan that they obviously laid out at the very beginning. It was going to be a long-term uh, war or conflict in Ukraine. They were going to follow it through as they have been, and they're making progress in that respect. Uh, if you say that that's not true, even though that is what's true, mm. or seems to be what's true, that you will somehow defeat Russia by saying the opposite of what's true? The, the, Does, is that what they believe? The, yeah, these people place enormous stock in, the, in, in in how you phrase statements because it might 
if it's, it has impact uh, financial or economic, it might rattle the markets. And here it might break lines and it might inspire someone else, the leader of Slovakia, to be more reluctant to go to that meeting to send those tanks, for example. Right. It might have knock-on it's consequences. It's defeatist. It's defeatist. And especially right. when it comes from London, which is the second of the major pillars right. of the current post-World War II right, right, right. world order. Um, so it's not entirely delusional in the sense that, it, obviously, information, the information war is very important. It's a big part of any conflict. And it has some tangible uh, real-world impact. Some, depending on far how less than they than imagine. Think. Because they think that if we start saying that Russia is going to win, then the attitude amongst uh, the people, the government supporting funneling weapons into Ukraine would say, well, what's the point in funneling more weapons if we're going to lose anyway? But those people have to – but if if the reality is that they're likely to lose anyway, what's the point in funneling more weapons into that? I know weapons make money and there's a big uh, motivation just to keep firing weapons into – because defense contractors make massive amounts of money and they're – Well, here there's an unspoken calculus – or, or it's an improperly articulated calculus, and you have to guess. And sometimes mainstream media analysts themselves are having to guess it all the time. Mm. One of them, and it's been said more than once, um, I think we covered it two shows ago, one of them is that we're going to lose anyway. Strategically, it's Russia's to win. It's far too close to Russia. They have too many inroads in mm-hmm. Ukraine. They're far more superior militarily. We've heard them admit all those basic facts of reality. Mm-hmm. Comma, but the article went on to say, nevertheless, let's do as much as possible to make, to make the cost for right. Russia achieving this uh, longer term far more injurious right. to to national self pride, right. to the to financial costs to Russia's budget to rebuild a very a much more damaged Ukraine than it might otherwise have right. been. There's those kinds of. Calculus. So, so it's calculus like on. we know you're going to win anyway, but we're going to make it as difficult as possible for you in the process. Yeah, remember, and in the process, make a lot of money ourselves by bilking taxpayers' uh, money and and funneling it to defense contractors. Yeah, in the in in past, um, who supply the weapons? In the past, in space and time, uh, in Afghanistan, remember Brzezinski's. Uh, <laughs> thank God he said it because he very succinctly just. He did away with the need to read his complex books to understand his strategic thinking because he just said, well, no, I have no problem with with what I did in Afghanistan because, quote, I gave the USSR, Russia, its Vietnam. Hmm. And so he succinctly summarized the point of giving the Mujahideen weapons that could shoot down tanks and Russian planes in large numbers. I wanted to make as bloody and messy and costly for them as possible. Mm. And Russia, then USSR, fell for it, so to speak. They they spent eight or nine years there. And I don't think it's... Uh, it was definitely a factor. I don't know... I don't know. It would be interesting to see I think it was overstated as well. But Western strategists themselves can credit to the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Was it the fact of an oil shock in the 70s and 80s? Was it the fact of the... Enormous costs um, in terms of moral pride of losing to those raghead Mujahideen in Afghanistan and so on and so forth. They're not sure themselves. I think they go, let's throw loss at it Mm -hmm. and whatever will help collapse it is good. And all these things are good, including lots of dead Ukrainians, sorry to say. That is how they see it in the calculus Mm. because it makes Russia look bad, etc. And it's, yeah, but in this day and age, though, they had success with it in past events, but in this day and age, like the, part the wishful thinking, I think 
can grow, it can go beyond m- mere um, what, what they hope will be something that will spur just at the edges, at the margin, the markets mm-hmm, or, or mm-hmm. other listeners out there to, to respond in kind. If I set the example of the right statement, it's gone way beyond that. Part of the calculus today has to assume that Putin going into this was unpopular mm-hmm. and that this would make him radically more so. Mm-hmm. And any day now there would be regime change in Russia. If we just keep the pressure up, uh, our media supporters and outright agents in some cases inside Russia will report the facts as the facts in quotes as we're reporting them in the West mm. and Russians themselves will clamor from within to pull down the government. Except that's not happening either. That's not happening either. The reality <clears throat> is the polls, Russian conservative so, polls show his support going up. So there has to be a backup to this where uh, these people aren't that crazy because they wouldn't continue to do things that were in any way kind of self self-destructive. You know what I mean? They wouldn't. Uh, repeat, at least knowingly or in the short term, shoot themselves in the foot or cause serious problems for themselves uh, in the short term. Uh, so there must be a backup to this in the sense that, and, and it's the old idea of war being a racket, right? War is an end in itself because it makes lots of money for, for you know, powerful and influential people. Uh, so having a war doesn't have to have a specific ideological goal or end point or reason, or, or it doesn't have to be a just war, it doesn't have to be an illegal war. None of those are really considerations. Uh, necessarily they can all fall away because the baseline is war is good for countries especially the countries that are that are especially countries that aren't directly involved in it but are f- throwing tons and tons of weapons into it that's the key making clause, a lot of money. especially the countries that aren't directly involved, directly involved. In it. just throw up that that as an example of what i'm saying here that eurasian times uh it's the first link in the last uh Sally just sent you. Uh, this 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 came out just during the week as well that NATO allies have been condemned, or sorry, have condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine in one voice. But divisions persist on matters of energy trade and the extent of sanctions. In an astounding revolution, it has been learned that some NATO allies have been covertly supplying arms to Russia. According to an EU report, France and Germany provided Russia with 273 million euros worth of military hardware that is now likely being used in Ukraine. This is according to the Telegraph. Um, So, despite an an EU-wide embargo on arms supplies to Russia uh, after 2014 annexation, quote-unquote annexation of Crimea, uh, both France and France and Germany have been delivering bombs, rockets, missiles, and guns to Moscow. Uh, that kind of would seem to back up uh, what I was just saying: that uh, all's fair in love and war, and um, it's not personal. Uh, and we may say things publicly, we may condemn certain countries publicly, but behind the scenes, money talks. And if we have got contracts for selling. Uh, significant or large amounts of uh, weapons to any country, regardless of who it is. We can condemn them publicly, but behind the scenes we'll continue to make lots of money from them. And yeah. that's what most people don't understand. It's my problem with uh, the state of the discourse on this topic and many other topics over the past, well, over a, a long time, uh, where people just are so ignorant of how the world actually works and how politics works, and how governments works, and the types of people in government, the types of people in business, and how ultimately money talks, and that's all that matters. And there are no, there is no moral morality that anyone holds to, uh, especially when it comes to uh, finances or making money. And 
the fact that most of the, and this includes, you know, hacks in the media and stuff, uh, but most of the, the kind of social media were, were most of the discussion that, you know, we would engage in and that we're reading and most people are getting information from both the mainstream media and social media, um, that they don't understand at all how the world works and they're almost willfully ignorant because there's lots and lots of evidence that should disabuse them of their naive take on how the world works. Mm-hmm. But they double down on it. They refuse to, 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 to recognize how the world works and insist on this goodies versus baddies view. And it just, one, one, it leads to like a terrible, terrible state of discourse or any kind of, there's so little objectivity or so little sense made in any discourse on this topic and many other topics that it's just, it's dismal. And any one person trying to point out a silly and truth is just like you're, it's a drop in the ocean, you know? You're it's, a voice it's, crying it, in the wilderness, you know? It's right there in the Financial Times article. Johnson outlined a potential backfilling maneuver whereby the UK would compensate Poland mm. if it sends its tanks to Ukraine. That's not the first such statement the US has said similar. Mm. Look, you dump all of your kind of Soviet and or recently re- revamped Soviet yep. era stuff in Ukraine. And then you get to buy you more get from to us. Buy Weapons from the British slash American military industrial complex. Which makes our military industrial complex very happy and therefore us very happy. And increases the dependency of those countries which, on, on the yes. two towers yeah. of Washington. It's strengthening London. of NATO, right? When you replace, uh, especially in Eastern European countries, you replace their, their, their Soviet era or Russian uh, military uh, stockpiles with Western stockpiles, NATO calibrated stockpiles. Increasing. Increasing NATO. Increasing profits and interoperability is right, the buzzword right, right. of the day, whereby which, Americans could come in and use and train for right. them, or British as well, and, right. it, which and is, there's easy exchange. Now we need – Russia's threatening up, up near Finland. Right, quick, send X number yeah. of battalions to Finland. It can be from anywhere in the pool, the larger pool, that's mm. now all interoperable. Right, and that's, it's, an example of that is – and Joe Biden actually mentioned it during the week there when he was talking about the, the latest tranche of $800 million or something in military aid mm. they were sending to Ukraine. He mentioned uh, a few different uh, you know, other European uh, nations who were – that they were <coughs> – he, he said specifically that the U.S. was uh, organizing the transfer of these weapons from Eastern European countries you know, uh, because they're – like you said, backfilling, but they're the ones who are like overseeing the, the transfer of uh, Russian or Soviet-era um, military equipment to Ukraine because they're going to then replace it with NATO equipment. And he mentioned specifically, uh, he said, like the S-300 uh, anti-missile system, which is a modern anti-missile system, made, Russian made that Slovakia had, and they transferred it, <clears throat> it was a few weeks ago that they transferred it uh, to Ukraine. Um, and that I can't find, uh, you know, I don't know where they are now, but at the time, uh, there's, there's, there were videos and, and reports that were, you know, fairly, fairly, seemed to be fairly valid that uh, within a few days, that S300 anti-missile system that Slovakia had transferred to, to Ukraine was destroyed and by the gone. Russians. And it's gone. <clears throat> and of course, Slovakia will now get a nice new shiny uh, Patriot US missile. Patriot missile, which is probably crappier. But, uh, and the anyway. U.S. then gets it, it integrates a, a full, fully integrates a node right. in its European 
it actually military caused, domination from its perspective. Yeah. Protection from Slovakia's perspective. Yeah. It actually caused a, um, a, I was just I'm looking for the report here. Uh, I don't know if I can find it, but it caused some serious problems within the Slovakian government. There was a bit of kind of outrage amongst, maybe amongst the opposition or, or within the government, basically, that, that they did this, that they just handed over an S-300, the only S-300, they only had one, to, to Ukraine, and then it got destroyed. And it's like, we, we kind of knew that that was going to happen. Why did you do that? Well, yeah. duh, why did we do it? So that American supplies with a new one. Um, but yeah. You mentioned another 800 million weapons package mm. from the Biden administration. That's 3.5 billion since the war began two months right. ago. And they're doing that out of the goodness of their hearts, right? Yeah. I mean, that's all just charity, basically. That's how they, you know, there's no, there's no kickback for, for that. There's no benefit to them doing it. They're doing it all for ideological reasons. And that's the thing, what I'm, that's, what, that's what I'm trying to say, is that that's presented in Western media and you hear all sorts of people, all sorts of, us, uh, uh, you know, useful idiots in, in, in the West in particular who believe that that $3.5 billion over the past two months that uh, the U.S. and its allies in NATO have, have given in military equipment, etc., to Ukraine, that that's just charity. They're just doing that because they feel... So, like in and the same way and you, that it's working. Yeah. In the same way that you, when you donate money to a charity or donate money to a good cause, you're doing it because you're a good person. You don't get anything back from it. That's money lost to of you, course. effectively, right? But, but they th- think that's they the same... They called it military aid since World War II. It's always aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you aid other people when you it's give. It's euphemism for war, push war, push war, and to al- ideally to outcomes that suit us, right? Um, but well, we talked about this previously as well. Is that uh, obviously that war being a racket? The the first line of benefit that can never be changed is that when America provides three point five billion, or America and and it's primarily America. They. Eighty percent of that is is basically American hmm. money and American military supplies. Um, when they do that, they're sending stockpiles of weapons from the U.S. and from Euro- some European countries directly to Ukraine that get used up and have to be replaced, which generates, which is good for the economy in America because it generates more production in U.S. defense contractors, and that money uh, are, are, are p- purchasing replacement for those weapons that are shipped to Ukraine. Uh, comes from U.S. taxpayers. Uh, you know, U.S. taxpayers are, are, are kind the, of are the golden goose to. in a certain sense. Now it's just well, it's just printed. They're just printing, <laughs> printing, printing money. But again, well, it's ultimately the, Europe, the U.S. taxpayer who will pay the price if if if, if there's a yeah. negative, if there's a downside to that, right. in terms of printing far more money than they should be. Um, but yeah, and also there's see? the ownership of Ukraine that comes from this, the hoped for potential ownership, at least from part of Ukraine, that will come from all of this aid. I mean, this comes with strings, right? Uh, $3.5 billion in military aid and the ties and the control that the U.S. is exerting and has exerted and is continuing to exert over the Ukrainian uh, government and people is going to be repaid in one way or another, um, depending on how it turns out. Uh, Ukraine would become Ukraine would be looted. It's already being looted in a certain sense, but it, it would be looted. Uh, whatever's left of Ukraine or whatever part of Ukraine is left in in Western hands would be completely looted by those countries. Yeah. Did you see Scott Ritter's um, Scott Ritter's analysis about the javelins? I yeah, this is an American so. modern stinger that can supposedly shoot down Russian jets, tanks, and so on. He says it's shite. 
Yeah. And he bases that on the number of um, commendations, awards that the Russian side, which already, they, you know, the military gives out awards on an ongoing basis. They don't wait for the end of end of the conflict. It's the number of awards that are pumped out to tankers, mm-hmm. uh, gunners or drivers and tankers, like super high. And the specific details of each one, you know, this tank was fired at 10 times. It has 10 markings and it kept on going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 10 and more, up a dozen times they've been hit by javelins and yeah. they, keep, they keep working or they have, they're quickly repaired and towed and mm-hmm, they still mm-hmm. work. So it, it was based <clears> on that, he was saying the javelins are the shit. And so the Pentagon probably knows that. But again, it's like, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. Well, well, Put it in and we'll backfill and... There's also the fact that they... Um I think the last number I saw was 20,000, <clears> a lot of them javelins, another anti, anti-tank and anti-aircraft, you know, manpad uh, platforms. And they, uh, the evidence that, that they're not very effective is that they haven't really put much of a dent in the, in the Russian progress and in, in, in Russia's military plan. It's, it's continuing uh, apace, basically. So you'd think that 20,000... You know, uh, I mean, what are, what's the ratio there for, for successful uh, use of those? What is it, 10 to 1? That would still be, if it was 10 to 1. Ritter gave the claimed success rate, and he said on the face of it, it was absurd. Uh, based on the, the volume of javelins and N-laws, the British equivalent, mm-hmm. that were shipped in, to the claimed number of Russian tanks that were lost, he said their hit rate is like four or five times higher than anyone else recognizes on the books in theory is possible. So they were bullshitting everyone <laughs> from yeah. the get-go, you know. Yeah. Both both Ukraine and, and, and the Western media as a whole. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but to, I mean, like I said, if it was, if, <clears throat> if for every one, if for every 10 they fire, only one, like a 10% success well, that would rate, be a good. that's still 2,000. You'd still have to have 2,000 pieces of uh, I mean, you're not going to fire them at art- artillery. I suppose you're going to be firing, firing them at uh, what, what they're designed for primarily, which is tanks or, in some cases, uh, aircraft. But that would still be 2,000. You'd have to have 2,000 tanks, 2,000 Russian tanks destroyed, or 2,000 between, you know, 2,000 between tanks and aircraft or something. But you're not seeing anything like that at all in terms of Russian military losses. So what are the Ukrainians doing with these things? Are they just shooting them off into the air for, for fun or something like that? There's a lot of video. They're selling them. They're ah, selling them to DPR forces, <clears throat> either when they themselves change sides or when they just want out. They're, just, they're about to desert and mm. they can get money from the uh, Russian government and or the DPR itself mm-hmm. is buying them off. Them. <laughs> so I've seen a few it's videos of so such. I don't know the extent of it, but um, well, this this development in the kind of Western narrative is uh, on cue. Today, British um, opinion makers, journalists, prostitutes are uh, beginning to reflect the party line. Here's, here's one from the article published yesterday uh, from The Guardian. I think it's published yesterday. Uh, I'd love to read the whole thing out. We probably don't have time. Look at the headline. The awful truth is dawning. Putin may win in Ukraine. The result would be catastrophe. What kind of a shithead do you have to be? I mean, okay, it really blows my mind. I mean, the awful truth is done after two months. Is that Mm. because that 
Simon Tisdall person, who supposedly is an intelligent person, has spent the past two months, you know, with his face stuck in massive amounts of bullshit and propaganda while he studiously ignored any evidence that conflicted with his narrative, the narrative that he wanted to push. You know, because I'm assuming that guy isn't necessarily an agent or a member of MI6 or MI5, and he's not actively putting out disinformation, that he's a normal person who looks at a situation and tries to report on it. Okay, he's got his biases. But for him at this point to say the awful truth is dawning mm. is mind-boggling. It's, mm. For someone who's, whose job it is to analyze data and report on data and give an accurate picture of what's actually happening, for him to say that at this point is just... He has written sound analysis in the past in, in, on other issues. Uh, the, the British are, have a particularly – it's a particularly sore spot for them, and I'm speaking generally, of course, here, maybe British intellectuals, elites, government types, media types. Russia is – they hate Russia. And it, Why? Well, hate is a, maybe not the right word. Like you said, all, at the end of the day, it's also not personal. But it's an old, old issue. This is great game stuff. This is like oh. the Age of Empire stuff. It's kind of it, – it really is a continuum. Russia is just like – they're Booga Bear. They've also been mind programmed for the past 10 years, like we've said previously, and, and, and detailed all of the ways, many w- different ways over the past 10 years, that the Western media and governments have sought to demonize, lie about, uh, smear and blacken Putin's name and the name of Russians. I mean, go, you can go back to Litvinenko in 2007, if you want. That's 15 years ago. Do you know what I mean? But they've consistently done that over... And it's almost like... Yeah, so there's something behind that. Whoever was putting out that anti-Russian propaganda for the past 15 years, making up stories uh, about, you know, Putin Putin killed my baby, Putin poisoned my family, Putin did this, Putin did that, Putin shot down this plane, Putin, you know, um, all without any evidence, and in fact with evidence to the contrary, uh, there's a reason for that obviously as well. But it's the people who take it up and believe that and have believed that over the past 15 years uh, who are now in a position ready to go, ready to hit the road running basically, with the whole, uh, with, with the Ukraine situation, and and to absorb and take up all of the, the well, this latest episode of 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 an anti-Russian information campaign. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not saying we're not totally pro uh, Russia or Putin in the sense of like we're not we're not saying it's all great and it's all wonderful and it's a good thing that they've invaded Ukraine and all that kind of stuff. We're simply interested in what's actually happening. And the problem is that the vast majority of people out there who are supplying information on the situation, at least in, for Western audiences, have no interest whatsoever in what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's decades in the making. I won't, I won't read all of this article, but the basic tone of it is it's a lament. It's a lament. Uh, it's well, a, put it back up there because it's an interesting yeah. subheading. <clears throat> A Russian victory would herald a new age of instability, economic fragmentation, hunger for millions, and social unrest. All oh, right, So that's where we're going, huh? Now, that subheading could have been the subheading on the 2004 special Pentagon report that The Guardian published. We mentioned it last show or the show before, mm-hmm. because those are precisely the general things that they managed to predict 20 years ago as the general trend of where the world was heading. Those things... So they they have enough of a reality based grasp using computers and God knows what else or simple simply good intelligent forecasts to predict twenty years ago that the world was heading in that state. Mm-hmm. But 
the twist in here is that this is being pinned not on structural forces in general but or economic forces but on the malevolent intentions of one man namely Vladimir Putin right and so the the, the thrust of the article is a last desperate plea as most uh, analysts in western media have been giving the last two weeks for their leaders to send more weapons to Ukraine, you know, mm-hmm. as if it's going to turn the tide or something militarily there. Yeah, well, just as you said, Russian victory would have a new age of instability, economic fragmentation and hunger for millions and social unrest. That's 24th of April today, today. 2022. Throw up that uh, one that we've shown previously. 2004, 18 years ago, now the Pentagon tells Bush climate change will destroy us, but... Secret report warns of, warns of rioting and nuclear war. Scroll down a little bit. Yeah, just, just click on... I'll do it later. No, you can't... Oh, yeah. Suppressed, a special report suppressed by U.S. defense chiefs and obtained by the observer warns that major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Abrupt climate change could bring the planet to the edge of anarchy as countries develop a nuclear threat to defend and secure dwindling food, water, and energy supplies. So that's 18 years ago, and now you have Mr. Simon Tisdall in the, in, in, in the same newspaper, basically. Um, saying, it is upon us. Saying, it's happening. So how did that happen? How did we march inexorably to a prediction that the Pentagon uh, provided for Bush 18 years ago? How did, we, how did we get here, and how is it all Putin's fault? <laughs> I mean, so you start to wonder, like, yeah, are we on some kind of like a trajectory here that there's no stopping because someone's pushing it in that direction? Mm-hmm. It, it brings up those questions. You know, of course, there's no, we don't have that answer to it. We're not going to like be able to pull somebody out into the, into the limelight and say, aha, got you. This is what you've been plotting for 18 years or longer. But uh, it's weird, definitely weird. Go down to the conclusion. Uh, so the last paragraph, I guess. <clears throat> so... His let's plea. Get, let's, let's get, get real. real. Yeah, right. Let's if get real. Wish you would. For all its heroism and sacrifice, Ukraine may lose this fight. Dreadful though it sounds, Putin could win. If the West so abandons its principles and values to let that happen, the long-term price for everyone will be a whole new world of pain. And it'll all be Putin's fault. Q. Big Lebowski. You're entering a world of pain. Um... Has the whole world gone crazy? <laughs> Am I the only one who gives a shit about the rules anymore? <clears throat> um, it, it, it's kind of got that flavor to it where he, he is a bit like uh, that crazy guy played by John Goodman in The Big Lebowski. You know? He's unhinged. He's hysterical. He's going to pull out a gun. And yet he, he's, in, this man's shit, he's in the same world as us. He has the same basic facts as us. But his perspective of it Mm. And why it is going in this trajectory? It's it's so different. It's radically different. It's just like, yeah. Does, does he really believe his prison fall? In the article, he he actually makes an equivocation. He says, "Comma, well, that wasn't all prison fall." He, he's lamenting the rise in food prices and mm. the coming famine, likely famine in the Middle East and Africa mm. as, well, a result, well, as a result. And, of- comma bracket. He has a subclause, although that's not all Putin's fault. And then he carries on. <laughs> He kind of knows, but that's he bullshits he himself. And, um. I mean, pl- that's why no one should listen or take, certainly take at face value anything the Western media says. Because you can easily verify that they're extremely biased, they're living in an echo chamber, and they're just pushing a narrative that is, that is, that is uh, you know, yeah, 
entirely biased. It's, it's not reflective of objective reality. And that's the only, only – they had one job to do, which is to simply report the facts, but they've stopped doing that. And now all you get from them is a massively biased perspective on any, any given situation. And people lap it up, under, laboring under the belief that this is – that they're doing what they were meant to do which is simply report what's actually happening. Okay, you can allow for a little bit of bias to come in, but if, you, if your bottom line is stick to the facts and leave it at that, no, no, uh, not, not commentary here, just the facts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but th- they stopped doing that a long time ago. Everything is infused with uh, personal belief today. But there's an even more interesting dynamic that got us on this trajectory. <clears throat> if what you're saying is, if they had just reported the facts then at least we would have an accurate view as we go into it. But, you know, it's, it's a participant-observer, subjective-objective relationship human beings individually and collectively have with reality. If your perspective is wrong, you will take wrong actions that will actually produce an objective outcome that you don't want. Ostensibly. I presume he doesn't want the Pentagon. I'm not so sure of that. And whoever's behind them, you know. So... It's not just that they got it wrong and for God's sake, can they just accept reality as it is, but their wrong perception created wrong actions which produced the chaos he's moaning about. And he's blaming someone else for it. Yeah. When it's his own fault. Yeah. In, yeah, partly, yeah. It's, it's classic the, projection onto scapegoating. Yeah. Putin has been well, an amazing no, scapegoat for But well, what's missing in, in that respect? Well, we know what's missing, but why is it missing? Why are, are people like him and pretty much all of the Western media and, and governments, why have they no interest in an objective reality? Not an absolutely objective reality, but a, a, a reality that's more, that, that, that's more objective than their subjective biases and what they would like to believe. Why have they no interest in it? Why do they not respect something, a, a reality that exists outside of their biases and, and their wishes and their, and their desire to believe in something? What, why have they no respect for it? Why do they not care about it? Do they not, they, is it because Karl Rove and uh, we're reality creators and whatever? Have they been steeped in that so long that they really believe that they now can actually create reality and mold it to, to, to what they believe, uh, what, what they want it to be? Uh, uh, that disdain Good, for great questions. That, I, that disdain for objective reality yeah. is is really dangerous. Super dangerous. Yeah. Just try it. Like go and believe that buses don't knock you down when you stand in front of them when they're travelling along the road at sixty miles an hour. Yeah. Have a go. Take it to an extreme just to test your. You know. Well. Uh, <clears throat> well. Buses don't hurt <laughs> when moving towards you. In the West. And hitting you. Uh, Western intellectuals claim boastfully that the West was the best or still is the best if they really believe that because we, the royal we, made that break to in the Enlightenment the importance of science and not the world as you might wish it to be and there they rejected religion and Mm -hmm. religiosity in general because that was warped and subjective as they saw it. So let's move into just what are the facts? Based on those facts, can we calculate an ideal outcome? Oh, look, trial and error, experimentation. It's working. Now we have a method and off they went. But the seeds of its destruction are are built into it. Um, 
from the get-go because they, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. It went too far or it has gone too far in the progression of time. Um, today, um, Key tenet believed in every Western capital and pushed by every government, the world's on the verge of catastrophic climate change and that it's man-made. Therefore, well, th we can do something to fix it. And, and how do they get that? Well, they have these, these supercomputer, these models that have been, they've been giving IPCC, IPCC UN updates based on these models and they say they're improving all the time and we're getting ever closer to an objective picture of where it's going and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, the premise they're starting off with isn't bad. Let's use, let's amass all of our scientific means and data as possible to see if we can map the world and predict the future and then, you know, assuage ourselves as to where it's going and what we can do about it. But it's along the way we got so deluded that man's role is so key and specifically his physical imprint, his carbon footprint, mm -hmm. the extent to which he develops industry, drives cars, uh, uses computers and all the energy they take to drive a whole computer-based world now. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he, man, Western man especially, got just so caught up in the hubris that his material impact was was strictly what was at core issue here. Therefore, if we if we switched out these impacts, go green stuff like that. If we stop these altogether, switch off all oil-based or uh, hydrocarbon-based energy sources, we can fix it. Hmm. But so it's well what I'm getting at is there, there is there is there is a key role for man in the development of everything on this earth. And it's even, it's even described in the Bible. It's, re religious people never uh, rejected such a premise to begin with. But from that premise, they went off in a terribly faulty direction. So, so it's well intentioned. It's just folly, and, and it's well intentioned folly. Let's say because that's an, an important point. Because uh, that's the dividing lane, dividing lane between uh, the kind of "quote unquote" rational take on world events and conspiracy theories. Hmm. If you if you say that you know this is just like the, the, kind of the way you described on it, and obviously you could expand on that or whatever, but basically the the Western mindset and, and Western Western history, modern history, and, and how it led them into this kind of like sense of uh, they had a particularly in America, uh, but also absorbed by adopt, taken up by Europe, this idea of uh, manifest destiny and, and um, shining city on a hill and the. the the only democracy in the world and they had a role to play and it was all well-intentioned but it just went wrong. Um, you can take that perspective. I mean, the outcome is equally bad as if it, uh, uh, compared to it being uh, intended that way where you run the, the Western world, let's say, first and foremost into the ground and destroy it, destroy Western society through misguided intentions. Well-meaning but misguided mm. intentions. Uh, the end result of that is very bad. The end result of somebody deliberately doing that progressively is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the only difference is the intent, and does it matter? Well, it matters if you, if you know, to, to get a read on how the world works and who's running the world, whether or not it was well intended, well intended, uh, uh, but misguided approach, or if it was somebody deliberately trying to create chaos and the destruction of Western civilization. It's, I think, it's an important point, at least from a 
from an understanding uh, point of view. But um, because, I mean, there's been plenty of, if you just go to BD News 24, Scotty, um, the headline kind of sums it up in a way. Um, it's about the, you know, the kind of embargoes, uh, or sorry, sanctions that have been imposed uh, recently. Um, you got it there? BDNews24.com. Um, yes? No? Communication? Ain't got nothing. Okay. Here it is. Uh, the headline is Europe reluctantly readies Russian oil embargo. Uh, this is from about a week ago or so. So it's uh, it's something you're probably already aware of. It's been in the news that uh, European countries are drafting plans for an embargo on Russian oil products. And this is in gas, obviously, because, you know, gas is slightly different, but gas might follow in theory. Embargo on Russian oil products, the most contested measure yet to punish Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Uh, but it says they're reluctant to do this. Now, why would they be reluctant to do it? Um, well, the reason that they're reluctant to do it should be pretty obvious. Uh-huh. When you cut off energy supplies that you're dependent on, i.e. that your people primarily are dependent on, if you cut those off, then you're going to have, you're going to cause a lot of suffering amongst the population. Yeah. Uh, but if you go ahead and do that and cause suffering amongst your population on the basis of some ideological kind of war that you're fighting against Russia for reasons that have nothing to do with what you what you say they have to do with because it's not about saving Ukraine, it's not about protecting Ukrainian people, it's about something else. We haven't really maybe touched on that or, or, or delved into that deeply enough in, in, in the sense of what the Western problem with Russia is. You know, it's not about saving Ukrainian people, it's not ideological, it might be at the, at the level of, you know, your common or garden political type and, and, and media hack or whatever, but for the people actually pulling the strings, they don't care about the Ukrainian people. If they cared about the Ukrainian people, they would not be fueling the fire of this war. Mm-hmm. They would not be contributing to the, to the continuation of the war. And as, as we've mentioned, and as they've, as they've been explicit about, they want, to make, they want to prolong it and drag it out as much as possible and make, quote-unquote, Putin suffer. But in that process, they will increase the suffering of the Ukrainian people. So they don't care about the Ukrainian people, obviously. So what's their, what is their ideology then? It's not practical. It's it's some other ideology that's pushing them to to uh, to do that and also to take these extreme measures, as in this article, uh, of cutting off the energy supply to European people yeah. from Russia and causing them to suffer. Yeah, and here the destruction seems to be willful. Right, but we're, that's, we're see, that's what gets to, We've crossed – now and then it, it – it's undeniable, or it's even rarely it's a, articulated in some way. Um, I, I have a related article, actually. Well, let me just okay, go, go through on. this one because uh, it's just it's just interesting in terms because people have been saying that. And today we should mention that today is the French elections. We maybe just discuss that later on very briefly. Uh, but uh, it's between Macron and Le Pen. Macron being more or less uh, an Atlanticist, uh, a NATO lover, and yeah, uh, the usual suspect. And Le Pen, in theory. His opponent, in theory, being more of a uh, well, she's a right-wing extremist, right? So, which means that nationalist. She, she's a nationalist, which means that she would be more uh, a bit more friendly towards uh, Putin, a bit more friendly towards Russia, uh, but maybe less likely to to 
to impose these catastrophic uh, embargoes on Russian energy uh, for Europe, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. We're not going to call it one way or the other at this point, but um, anyway. Um, the Let me see, just go down. Timeline, people have said that basically, because and that's why I mentioned the French elections, people have said that this embargo on oil, on Russian oil, that's being put together by European nations under the stewardship of the US, of course, because the US is very happy if uh, Europe stops buying Russian oil because they'll have to buy American oil and oil from other sources. But um, So they've been planning to put together this embargo on Russian oil, but there's reluctance among certain European countries uh, because primarily the ones that are more dependent on Russian oil than others, right? The UK is very happy to push this uh, embargo on Russian oil because it doesn't get much oil from Russia, whereas, for example, Germany or Austria uh, and, and, and a few other Eastern European states do get a lot of oil from from Russia. But anyway, and there's, but, official, yeah, but officials and diplomats who spoke on condition of anonymity, and sorry, I should just add that the idea was that they would wait until after the French elections yes. to impose... <laughs> Uh, this embargo, the first serious energy embargo on oil, first and foremost. Giving away the fact that they know they're vastly unpopular. Right. Yeah. Uh, they wait until after the French election, so it's not because if it happened, it would be seen as a Macron, uh, pres- uh, Macron administration move, and the French people would be very unhappy about it because suddenly the price of uh, gas at the, at the pe- uh, petrol at the gas at the petrol station or petrol at the gas station or diesel at the gas petrol station. We're anyway, all American now. Uh, anyway, that it would increase and people would be unhappy. So they're waiting until he wins, supposedly, and then they'll do it. And say, ah, too late. You can't complain about it. You already voted for me, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, uh, in this article, basically, they're saying that it's not just that they're, they're waiting until after the French elections, but rather um, there's... There is not the unity that they claim there is for this kind of an embargo in, in the European Union for obvious reasons. They're trying hard to get everybody to toe the line. But officials and diplomats who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorised to discuss the matter said that there was a growing sense that the measure would be taken even in the absence of a so-called trigger, another major news event like the atrocities in Bucha, Ukraine, but an event of that type could move the decision forward. And that's interesting because... Uh, we talked about Bucha before, and people who are familiar with it should realize that, you know, Bucha was very likely uh, a put-up job. It was a, a staged provocation, staged scenario designed to do precisely what it did, which was to demonize it's, Putin and get people on board. It, and again, it's, it's it gets grotesque. Back to- this, this guy just... Mm. Um, Speaking on the condi- under conditions of anonymity, yeah. just gave away the disgusting fact that uh, we navigate, quote unquote, democracy in the West by ma- emotionally manipulating and blackmailing our right. population. Yeah. Um, but a handful of its members are also ill prepared to deal with the economic consequences from closing the tap on Russian oil imports. Russia is the EU's largest oil supplier, providing the bloc with one quarter of its oil and petroleum product imports in 2020. Germany, highly dependent on Russian oil and gas, has been a key country re- resisting a quick, universal, and simultaneous. EU-wide oil embargo, and much of the work around the details of the measure is focused on ensuring that Berlin comes on board. Now, you might see some serious issues uh, or some serious pressure put on the European, on the German government. You might even see a, a change in the European government as a result of the US, or sorry, the German yeah. government as a result of oh, US there pressure. there are calls for him to already. resign this yeah. week. To resign, he's in the job two months. Germany gets 34% of its oil from Russia. 
uh, a key challenge will not only be to find alternative supplies, but to make up for that. Oh, sorry, to make up for that, but also to line up sufficient land transport for oil heading to its two refineries that are fed by pipelines from Russia. Um, so basically, the, the, the tenor of this is that it's going to be phased in supposedly on a progressive basis. It's not going to be immediately after today when Macron supposedly is going to be shooed in to win, uh, that it'll be throughout the summer over... They don't know what well, they're talking about. It's a tight timetable. They're claiming by, by the end of this year. August, September, whatever. But again, that's putting it off, you know what I mean? Pipe and dream. Pipe dream. Literally a pipe dream. The article doesn't even mention coal. Germany's dependence on Russian coal is higher. Right. It's higher. Yeah. <laughs> well, coal is, uh, coal is part of the whole narrative about... Coal was a big part of the narrative uh, about climate change, right? Mm-hmm. We're all going to save the planet, uh, especially the UK up in uh, the COP the COP26 or whatever it was uh, last year in uh, up in Scotland where they all got together in their Tesla cars and said they were going to save the planet. Well, as a result of this policy, this ideological move to uh, I, this, this anti-Russian ideology that, again, that has nothing to do with saving the Ukrainian people or sparing the Ukrainian people, whatever the motivation is, that's leading them to impose these um, energy embargoes or plan to impose these energy embargoes on Russia um, they are they're doing that obviously to quote unquote you know uh, support the Ukrainian people and to fight against Russia, uh, even though that's obviously not the reason, but they're also doing it because it'll be good for the planet, right because they'll reduce use of forced well, reduction in use by the population of oil and gas and a transition to a green economy right but to spell that out <clears throat> dot 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 you'll kill off lots of people you'll kill off lots of people, but in the process. They're not so they're not so delusional because if you just put up that one I just sent you, Scotty, um, the UK has just approved its first new coal mine in thirty <laughs> years. This is this is the issue. But coal was a big problem for climate change. Right. At that at, uh, it was it was like you know it was it was and, and China, which uses the most coal in the world, uh, is pumping out that all all that uh, pollution from from coal, and and everybody has to stop it. And the UK COPD COPD COP uh, twenty six COP twenty six uh, in in Glasgow last year, the UK leading leading the charge to protect the climate, cut off cut off uh, in particular coal usage of coal burning of coal. Uh, and and now they're opening a new coal mine because <clears throat> this is the thing. <clears throat> I think we're going to see it sooner rather than later. We still don't know, despite all the information campaigns, despite all the small uh, token gestures like recycle your plastics and stuff like that, we still don't really know yet if this is going to be actuated. That suggests it's not. <clears throat> the UK behind the virtual signaling, and it, it, it looks like political wankery, excuse my language, mm-hmm. because in reality they're doing the opposite of what they say they're doing. Where the rubber will hit the road is if all this talk, which is very urgent <clears throat> right now because of Russia and Ukraine, is going to actually become real. Are they really going to go for it? Are they going to cut off Russian energy to Europe? If that happens, then we'll know they're serious. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, here's, a, here's another one. More the kind of pressure that um, Germany is coming under. Can you put up the link I just sent you from the Telegraph from three days ago? Um, 
headline, if Germany won't stop buying Russian gas, it should face sanctions too. Sanctions, Sub headline, anyone buying German goods right now is effectively funding Putin's war. Mm. I mean, okay, so he's British Telegraph, so you know, he's a douchebag. It's, easy, it's easier for the British to put that kind of pressure on Germany because they're not anywhere near as dependent on Russia. And also because Germany. they killed my granny in the war. Right. Unity only goes so far, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's uh, the, oh. English have, the English have a, a long, long-standing uh, antipathy for 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 der, der, the Krauts, You know what I mean? It's not. Uh, der Spiegel interviewed Schultz uh, yesterday. First question. I won't put, bother putting it up. First question. So, are you some kind of pacifist? And it just spent the whole time like this was a serious German <laughs> newspaper, and it spent the whole time berating its new chancellor. Mm. About do more for Ukraine, do more, send more, send more, whatever. Just, just, just do it. You know, this pressure is coming. Madness from primarily from the US and the UK, right? Of course. Yeah. But getting They're back to the, getting back to the topic, the subtopic we've moved on to. Are they really serious about cutting off their legs to spite their face? But who? <sighs> but whose legs are they cutting off? And do they are, are, are Western peoples? People, not, Any, not people, their own, anyone, right? Not anyone. their own. People in Africa will go hungry, right? Well, so but they care so much about pe- about the ordinary people of this world, don't they? Isn't it, that's the idea, right? That's the under that's the the belief that underpins uh, any belief in what they say or any credibility given to what they say, which is that these people, uh, these politicians, uh, are are humanitarians, effectively, that they really care about the ordinary p- people of this world. And that, that they keep, you know, they present that, that image, they try hard to present that image to the population, while what they're doing is clearly going to achieve exactly the opposite in terms of uh, its impact on the population. It's going to have a seriously negative impact on the population and make them suffer a lot. While we're telling you we're doing this for your own good and getting you to, even getting you to get on, come on board with it, Get on board with taking cold showers. Get on board with having no food. Get on board with starving. For what? To save who? To save the Ukrainian people that we're facilitating the the, the slaughter of? Yeah. Do I, I mean, do you have to have a big brain to think your way through this? No, you just have to not have the memory of a goldfish to remember that two years ago, exactly are, the same things were being said to you to save granny or not to ha- or to have some critical thinking ability a basic critical thinking ability that isn't usurped by some emotional manipulation where your your ability to think clearly using simple a plus b equals c and reading reality as it is isn't usurped by by incessant emotional manip- emotionally manipulative programming from from the media and from governments i mean think but joe in, think about where what you, what we are suggesting here, what it's implying for people to grasp, that there's a concerted effort by the powers that be to kill off a lot of them. I mean, no wonder there's, there's a I don't brain care. fart moment. Yeah, of know. course, yeah. But I don't, they don't even have to go there. There's, it's like deer no, in the headlights. There's an no like, alternative to going there, to having to accept that, which I, I accept is is, is, is is difficult for a lot of people. To, and, uh, I don't, I'm not saying they yeah. should, or, but the alternative, we expelled out the alternative a little while ago, which is that it's misguided folly. They, they, they've lost the plot. These people are just, okay. while they may have good intentions, 
they may be trying to save the planet, fill, fill in, save Ukrainians, fill in dot, 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 yeah, whatever it is. the humanitarian cause, Boost democracy. but that it's going to have a very bad effect. And people should understand that that can happen. They probably have experience in their, in their own lives of people with good intentions creating very bad situations. So all you have to do is look at where the obvious end, end point of this whole, uh, particularly the energy business, on uh, energy embargoes on Russia, is that people are going to starve. Yeah. First in North African countries and Middle Eastern countries and then in Europe. It's going to be widespread food shortages and energy shortages. You're going to have only a certain amount of electricity uh, a certain, uh, during the day, a certain amount of heating during the day, and you're going to have not enough food to feed your family. Mm. And it will be as a result of the policies that are being pursued now by your government. You can ascribe any whatever motivation you want to those politicians in doing that. It doesn't change the fact that that's what they're doing and that's the result that they're going to get. Mm. So you should recognize that. And I'm not saying even you should do something about it, but you should at least recognize it so you can maybe prepare yourself to, to avoid the worst, the, worst, the worst impacts of it. Um, it seems, It seems that those shouting loudest and those throwing the Molotov cocktails at Eastern Europe um, we got a hint of this when they first forewarned us about upcoming massive sanctions against the Russian economy in December last year. When they they acknowledged in their announcement of these crippling sanctions that this would impact uh, average consumers yeah. in Europe. Well, they've been explicit about it, yeah. And then they went on to say, well, <clears throat> no, no, but it was an American announcing this and speaking under a condi- condition of anonymity, but it won't affect our economy. As now, much. That's probably wishful thinking, but I think it's it gives something away. I think it gives away the fact that there's a kind of a hierarchy of expendables. First, the Africans can starve, Middle Easterners can starve, whatever. You're written off. Mm-hmm. From the perspective of Washington, London, you're on the lower rung. Secondly, Eastern Europeans, they're goading Romania, Poland, and now Germany. Go on, get, go into Ukraine, have the fight. They don't mind. And, uh, we, have hist- we have history to fall back on for this. Yeah. Broadly speaking, exactly they're not the two. They're not identical. But broadly speaking, when you take not just so much the Russian perspective, but try and step out and look at what happened overall in a quick summary, a news bite roundup of World War II, more or less, Nazi Germany declares war, firstly, on Western Europe. But there's kind of, uh, there was a phony war. Mm-hmm. A connivance, a capitulation. The French have forever been mocked for capis- capis- for basically embracing it on the surface. Uh, Nordic countries, etc. There was a, and then there was the infamous incident in Dunkirk where the retreating British forces from Belgium, the Panzer divisions are doing blitzkrieg and they stop and they give them three days to evacuate. You know, mm-hmm. okay. But then it turns around. The whole rest of the war, the bulk of the actual war, is in the other direction. And Washington and London just sat back and kind of bit their nails for four years. Mm-hmm. When Russia turned it around in Stalingrad, when they were moving through Ukraine faster than the Blitzkrieg moved in the other direction, mm, that's when they, then they went, Let's oh, go. there's this terrible, right. terrible moral crisis, terrible war happening in Europe. Best get involved. Mm-hmm. Well, they had been involved up, up to that point by funneling, again, like as they're doing in Ukraine, large amounts of weapons into the countries that were fighting with each other and putting them on, uh, putting them on, uh, well, saddling them with debt, with massive debt that I mentioned, I think I mentioned last week. Germany only 
uh, finished repaying its debt to America from the Second World War in 2011. So that's what America did, primarily in the Second World War. A snapshot of the Second World War is that America threw tons and tons of weapons into the war while everybody else fought it, and Europe got destroyed, and then afterwards took over, took over Europe through uh, calling in debts in different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the My point the is part, the, right? That's how extreme the situation can get in terms of it appears on the surface that they're willfully destroying themselves, but actually they can throw a lot of other people under the bus yeah, first. For sure, and yeah. those other people don't learn the bloody lessons. Poland today, I give it five years, Poland surviving as a viable independent nation state. If it doesn't change course. Not because Russia once has designs on you per se, but it's going to get ground up if this spread of NATO weapons and this increasing bellicosity, all encouraged from London mm. and Washington, chucking everything they can at it and pushing the Poles in front yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh, they don't learn. Yeah. You know? Uh, the, the well, some of us, uh, yeah, well, a lot of people don't learn, but the opportunity is there for other people to learn. Uh, like, is that uh, that poster uh, says, you know, sometimes there's a poster of a, a sinking ship, you know, picture of a sinking ship, and the caption underneath it is that sometimes the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to other people. Um. Right. Just throw up the msn.com here. Just on this same topic, um, it's the first set I sent you, Scotty. Uh, msn.com. Um, this this is another example of just kind of... It, boy, it bakes my noodle, you know. <laughs> this is from just today or a couple of days ago or something. That EU says... Uh, the EU has come up with a, a genius way to pay for Russian gas in euros to avoid breaching sanctions, right? And the details are that EU companies may be able to work around Russia's demand to receive gas payment in rubles without breaching sanctions, sanctions if they pay in euros or dollars, which are then converted into the Russian currency, the European Commission said on Friday. Good job, European Commission. You have just basically spelled out exactly what the Russians said you had to do two weeks ago. <laughs> no. They said, you can pay for our gas in whatever currency you want. All you have to do is open up a bank account in Russia and you can pay in euros, pay in dollars, whatever, and then we will, that bank will, you will pay for the, the conversion of, the, of the, that currency into rubles and, and then uh, those rubles will be used to pay Gazprom or the Russian oil, uh, Rosneft, is that the Russian oil company? Rosneft, anyway. yeah. So, uh, but it's amazing, like, they, they, they come up with like, hey, we just had a really good idea to circumvent uh, sanctions, uh, not circumvent sanctions, but to, 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 to avoid breaching sanctions, to do our part, to screw over Russia. Uh, and, and it's really genius. We're, we're like, we've got the big brains here in, in Brussels and we've figured it out. And it's like, and they just do exactly what the Russian government told them they had to do two weeks ago. And they announce it as if it's like breaking news. Yeah. That's why I just like, I look at this stuff and I go, Jesus Christ, you people are. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, so they've no intentions, obviously, of not paying for Russian gas. No. And I don't know if they've had much in the way of intentions of not paying for uh, Russian oil either. We're going to see. Uh, and it depends on the extent to which the US can put pressure on in all sorts of different ways, including blackmail and threats and all that kind of stuff on European governments to cut off Russian oil, at least. But And assassinations. Uh, um, did you hear about the... We're up to four now. Gazprom connected oligarchs slash executives who've been killed 
in the last uh, month or so. I just sent it to you, Scott. It's a Daily Mail. This is Daily Mail reporting about last week, two guys on the same day. Headline, mystery over four suspicious suicides of Russian gas executives. Two more top industry figures linked to Putin's circle are revealed to have killed themselves amid probes into murder-suicides of two businessmen and their families. Um, Sergei Protasenya was found hanged in Spain with, with his wife and daughter killed. Specifically, they were stabbed to death and then he was hanged. Um, no suicide note left, no fingerprints on the weapon. Earlier, same day, I think, Vladislav Avayev, his wife and daughter, died in another murder-suicide, and that was in St. Petersburg. And then back in February, two further gas executives died in suspicious circumstances. Um, it's gruesome, gruesome story, um, especially the, the two murder-suicides of the two families. Uh, scroll down there. Uh, which is the relevant details? Investigators initially assumed, assumed that Protosenia, who had a fortune of uh, three hundred thirty million pounds, had killed himself. Yeah, that's that's near Barcelona. Um, the businessman had served as deputy chairman of natural gas company Novotech. So, yeah, he once was in Russian government, but at the time of his death, he was working for, scroll down, they'll name exactly, it's not gas, I think it's Gazprom Bank, or it's, it's, a, it's a key subsidiary. Scroll down a bit more. Past the gas. Uh, yeah, uh, well, this other, the second guy, the one who was killed in Petersburg, Avayev was previously a vice president at Gazprom Bank. Um... In both cases, there are suspicions that the deaths may have been staged as suicides. Well, that's interesting because right from the get-go, the news report, the British spin, British media here is spinning this as, oh, well, that's doubtful that there were suicides, that somebody killed and made it look like a murder-suicide. And they're implying, of course, as we've had with many other instances of Russian oligarchs or whatever living abroad, that they were killed by Putin. Mm -hmm. But... Um, we can flip this easily. This is way open. This is more likely in my book to uh, be something that was done to Russia rather than to work against Russia, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely it's definitely related. They happened on the same day, two countries apart, one in Russia, one in Spain. Um, and they are big players. Now, uh, Interestingly, both were not on any sanctions list. Mm. So they can call them oligarchs all they want mm. and claim to have stolen wealth all they want, but both were not on the U.S. sanctions list. Mm. I think it's open as to who, who was behind it, but that's, you know, in, in, the, in the game that the, that the U.S. has, the conditions of the game that the U.S. has set, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a dangerous business being, especially at this time, um, in the world, yeah. so I mean, who knows? Um, one other major trigger we can now use that term trigger from that last article about the triggers mm -hmm. that would, that would, pro that would provoke sanctions, uh, i.e., they mentioned Bucha as a trigger getting European countries on board to take more actions against Russia. Another trigger this week was Mariupol, at, at least an attempted trigger. Just throw up the BBC article uh, as one example of uh, 
for a few days there, we kind of blanket cor- blanket coverage of 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 this, and I think it might still actually be on on a lot of the um a lot of the major Western media outlets. Uh, Mariupol satellite images suggest mass graves dug near besieged city. So again, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's a it it stands out as one of those. You know, one of those stories or messages that springs up in the Western media, fully formed, and there's only one conclusion that anybody, any reasonable person should draw from it, which is that Russia is evil and they're committing war crimes and killing civilians in in Ukraine, blah, 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 blah. Um, Luckily, again, satellite image, that's the best the BBC has. That image, you're meant to be able to draw whatever you can, you know, well, draw the obvious conclusion from that satellite image that you know this NSA provided to the BBC or provided to the media that uh, here's evidence of Russia um, having killed because what mass burial trenches or something I suppose there might be trenches that they just dump loads of civilian bodies into because Russia killed all these civilians because that's what Russia's doing in Ukraine it's killing all these civilians for the for for, for fun or or because they want to uh, luckily someone we know personally. Uh, uh, Ava Bartlett has she likes to travel around and uh, stick her nose in places that uh, she shouldn't uh, at least the western governments w- would like her not to um, if you just put up the YouTube link it's a short little video and Ava went to Mariupol because Mariupol is now basically liberated if you want to call it that and uh, she has this uh, pretty short little report from that specific site that the satellite image was oh, showing in, interesting. just outside Mariupol. Go ahead. Western media is awash with new accusations against Russia, this time accusing Russia of secret burials and mass graves in a town west of the city of Mariupol. Accusations are that Russian forces threw up to 9,000 civilians into a mass grave in an effort to cover up their alleged war crimes. Reports cite Ukrainian officials, notably the former mayor of Mariupol, no longer in the city, as the source of what he calls, quote, barbaric war crimes. And according to him, Russians dug huge trenches 30 meters wide and chucked people in. So with journalist Roman Kosarev on April 23rd, I went to the site in question to see whether or not there actually is a mass grave. It is Saturday, April 23rd, and I'm at the site of what Western media are alleging Um, are mass graves. Now, these are clearly uh, new graves, and there in the distance is um, an existing cemetery, as media have noted. This is a a marking of a person that was born in 1941, has their name, has the date of their birth, and it's obviously a known site. Now, there are also unknown graves, and they are simply numbered. But there are many that are actually marked with date of birth, or at least with name. Here we go, another one, 1964. This is the second plot. These are not occupied graves. And then these are all completely empty. There's one beyond, uh, for the sake of accuracy, I'll take a jog down that way. 
I mean, this is just now, at this point, two rows. One of which is vacant. And that's it, Western media. Nothing else. I've seen that back in 2015, 2014 as well, where, uh, where mass graves were discovered uh, um, as uh, Azov or Aydar retreated. It's in the Donetsk region. And we saw mass graves with civilians. I even saw uh, a woman that was like, that she was dug up. She had her arms tied behind her back. Uh, and she was pregnant, like in the latest stage of pregnancies. And she had uh, a hole in her head, so I mean, she was executed. So mass graves is something that they do. Some of the, they, they've done quite a bit. Um, mass graves, uh, at least uh, according to the uh, head of uh, the Nez People's Republic, Denis Pashelian, at least uh, 300 sites have been discovered since uh, 2014. <laughs> Этот квадрат специально предназначен для мирного населения. Всех хоронили, как говорится, под номерами, которые опись ведется в морге, особые приметы, у кого были документы на табличках указаны фамилия, имя, отчество. Всех хоронили в отдельных могилах и в гробах. Можно теперь вам вопрос задать? Вот западные СМИ сейчас про это место говорят, что здесь они говорят, у нас есть снимки со спутника. Здесь ямы 30 на 40 метров, куда российская армия сбрасывает трупы мариупольцев. Вот, вот я вам сейчас доставил новость. Что вы про это думаете? Это все бред, это фейки. Во-первых, здесь есть одна могила на одного человека. Человека хоронится в гробах. Есть ниже даже захороненные военнослужащие украинской армии, которые захоронены в гробах, в отдельной могиле. Если он опознан, у него есть табличка, либо же он под номером. И найти его как бы можно. Нету, нету здесь массовых могил, захоронений не было. Это не братские могилы, и никто тут никого не... Как говорится, в общую могилу не сваливают. Каждому человеку, хоть какой он, ВСУшник или мирный, это без разницы, это человек все-таки. И каждому человеку предназначена гроб и могила. Это все опровержение того, что хотят свалить, что ДНР военные хоронят, как братская могила военных ВСУ. Это все обман, ложь. Uh, all it took was someone to go to Mariupol, but apparently, even though Mariupol right. is open and free, no Western media is interested in going to any of these sites where they claim, at least at, at the time, <coughs> to be on the scene, where they claim these triggers, trigger events are yeah. happening, events that would trigger the shutting off of your electricity in Europe uh, to find out what was actually happening. Luckily, Eva went there, and um, yeah, it's bullshit. Basically, of course, people died in Mariupol. Uh, it was seriously <clears throat> and uh, strenuously defended our, uh, for a couple of weeks or more um, by Ukrainian forces, including the Azov Battalion and neo-Nazi types, and the rest of them are now holed up in the Azovstal metallurgical plant, which has been blockaded, and there they'll stay until they decide what to do. But apparently they're not allowed to leave because they all have to die to the last Ukrainian um, in, in service uh, to demonizing, attempting to demonize 
Russia. Mm. But that was an interesting development, wasn't it? The media was gearing up for <clears throat> oh, Russia is going to bombard mm-hmm. um, Azovstal. So the Kiev government was putting out lots of statements. Initially, the thousands of civilians were in there with them. They whittled that down to hundreds, but nevertheless, that was the kind of they were trying to forestall. Mm-hmm. It appeared the Russian taking of the steelworks plant or simply its bombardment from the air by reminding everyone that there were civilians there too. And then Putin um, did this televised brief meeting with Shoigu in which he said, I order you to cancel the, quote, storming of the Azovstal, just Mm -hmm. blockade it and let no one out. Mm -hmm. Um, The... I thought of the... I thought I'd seen it earlier on. Someone had posted about a month ago a video uploaded somewhere claiming that it shows it's the footage was taken on February 24th, i.e. day one of Operation Z, showing tanks going into the main entrance of yeah. Azovstal. Yeah, yeah. I, I suspect uh, they knew from the outset that this mm-hmm. is where it would end up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they had, God knows what's in there, because I think it was kind of a trap of some kind that was set up. If it's true that there are hundreds of civilians in there with them. Well, they've uh, taken those civilians in there with them themselves, is the thing. There's themselves, no they were either, were they either taken there by force or they were scared into coming there and convinced that there would be one way or another. supply of food. Human, so shields, human shields is what the, a lot of the Ukrainian army has been using over the past two months. So that much is pretty clear from multiple, multiple testimonies of, of people from towns that have come under Russian control. Uh, and you don't, you don't find that in Western media, but you have to look on Telegram channels and stuff to see those reports directly from those people. But uh, what people forget about Mariupol, and it is not mentioned at all in Mariupol, is that Mariupol is at the very least, has been for, for a long time, a very much split uh, city split down the middle, not in, not down the middle, but split amongst the population in terms of their allegiance. Mm. In 2014, when the U.S. back coup happened, that kind of you know gave rise to all of this the situation today. When the U.S. Uh, backed the coup, that got rid of the the, the kind of Russian you know uh, aligned president uh, Yanukovych and installed uh, a, a Washington regime, basically that then gave rise to. Um, to Zelensky, puppet Zelensky today. Um, the pe- Mariupol, in the same way that the people in Donetsk and Luhansk uh, said they wanted no part of that new Western-backed anti-Russian uh, regime in in Kiev in 2014, people in Mariupol uh, kind of voted with their feet against it in massive protests on the streets of Mariupol in 2014, mm. saying that they wanted no part of it, like I said. Uh, and the Ukrainian military came in and uh, put it down, put down that expression of popular uh, disgust at uh, a coup regime being being imposed in, in, in Kiev that did not represent them, that was virulently anti-Russian. Uh, I think you, similar happened in Kharkov. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't you don't get the, the the history of this. The east of Ukraine is very much Russian aligned, and ha- since two thousand and fourteen, has not been uh, very happy with the the new Washington installed government. That in is Kiev. true of the east as a whole, and it in shows general. in the right. election results right. in Ukraine right. uh, un- until recently. But you, you said you claim that Mario, Mariupol specifically was split, mm. yeah, kind of fifty fifty divide. But nevertheless, that's. You, 
I suppose you're saying that's sufficient numbers to have generated protests well, that w- were suppressed at the time. Yeah, absolutely. It was. I mean, I, I don't even know. I wouldn't say that it was. Uh, I'd say Mariupol in general, overall, the majority, the significant majority of the population were Russo, uh, Russophiles, let's say. Mm. They spoke Russian, they had a Russian culture, uh, and they had, you know, a lot of them would have family in Russia. Mariupol isn't very far from, uh, very far from Russia. So uh, for them to have to be, to, to be forced to accept uh, a new government installed by Washington, uh, installed by the CIA effectively, that was uh, against all things Russian and, and by extension against them. And they showed in, in, the, in the conflict since then in 2014 in eastern Ukraine, they showed that they, had, they have uh, absolute disdain for those people. They, they called them terrorists. Anybody who resisted, anybody who thought differently than the people in Kiev uh, and, and, and did not want to take a, a become, you know, anti-Russian, uh, they were called terrorists. Uh, there's just put, that's just, what it just, all comes back to. There's a very that sh- coup in 2014. Yeah. Washington created this mess. Just play. There's a, there's plenty of videos. There's been several documentaries made on those events in 2014 in Mariupol. Uh, but there's one there, the MP4 sent you, It's Mariupol One. It's just a short video. It just uh, it'll give you an insight into events of that summer in 2014, in the immediate aftermath of the coup. So they had a vote to try and secede. Yeah, but well, that's but the kind of democracy you away. can't have. Yeah, for Washington. But well, they, you, they you killed, were kidding killed a lot of people. And, yeah. and uh, on on that day it was May 9th, the the, the kind of Veterans Day in, in, Vic- in Victory in, Day, Victory Day in in Russia, and it, it all kicked off then because people were you know, showing their kind of allegiance with 
Russia or their their alliance with Russia and uh, and they decided they were going to take a stand against the against the coup and it was put down. Um, yeah, you weren't kidding when you said the military came in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. In they my killed, head, I thought, oh, they, they just you know no, threatened no, to do something. They absolutely. just ran they killed tanks a lot of people. Over but that's, I mean, bottom line there is that you had ethnic Russians, Russian speakers who were protesting against, who weren't happy with being being forced to take to be part of a country that was had, had taken a uh, under the a radical uh, turn, a radical turn, anti-Russian turn, and and you know it was against their own ideology, their own their own beliefs, their own culture, their own uh, own language, effectively. Um, and uh, so the idea of a, you're talking here about a, uh, the right of, of people to self-determination, to not mm. be aligned with a, a, a corrupt, tyrannical regime that wants to persecute them. And, uh, and for eight years, there was a war, uh, has been a war fought against the people in Mariupol and in, and in Donbass in general uh, to stop calling them terrorists and stopping them from asserting their right to self-determination and right to, uh, to, to have their own... Uh, beliefs and culture, you know, religious beliefs, cultural beliefs, language, uh, and that's that's a big part of what's what's going on in Ukraine today and why Russia has intervened. But you won't ever hear that, like you know. Mm. Um, so yeah. Um, so Mari- Mariupol, yeah, is under Russian control. And on the Mariupol, just throw up the Guardian article here. It's just the hypocrisy again. Is uh, throw up the France says Russian. Uh, Guardian article. Um, have, a, have a look at this. France says Russian mercenaries staged French atrocity in Mali. Uh, Russian mercenaries buried bodies near a Malian military base to falsely accuse France's departing forces of leaving behind mass graves the French military escape. So okay. apparently it can happen. Right. Apparently you can have staged mass have graves. Staged mass graves. Huh. And the Guardian will report it if it's Russia who's doing it. Mm. But the idea that those mass graves that the Guardian reported on in Mariupol were staged in some way uh, is not possible. We would never. That would never happen. And But it doesn't matter. It's academic because if a Bartlett goes there and says, this isn't even a mass grave, you're mm. talking shit. You're talking complete and utter shit. It's not even a mass grave. It's 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 a, it's graves beside an existing cemetery for the people who have died as a result of the conflict there. End of story. It's like uh, false flags. They can happen, actually. Yeah. After two decades of lampooning anyone who mentions the term. Well, actually, they can happen when Russia does them. Yeah. You talked about, we are talking earlier on about uh, intent, deliberate intent. Uh, to make people suffer, to make European people suffer, that there's an agenda. This is a conspiracy theory, obviously. There's an agenda uh, in in some dark rooms uh, or dark hallways of, of, of the Western halls of power to actually engineer a situation where people will suffer as a result of mm. energy shortages and food shortages. Throw up that uh, conspiracy website, sat.net, Scotty. I want to send you. Oh, don't uh, be going to that <coughs> website. It's terrible. Um... This is an interesting story. You may have heard about it. You probably may, may or may not have heard about it. But over the past two or three weeks, there have been officially the story. It was, a, it was a, oh, Tucker, yeah. Tucker Carlson actually talked about it. Yeah, I saw, uh, that. I saw his report. That there were uh, six, I think. Uh, I heard 18. But right. Well, actually, there's more. If you dig into it, there's more. But there's been, let's okay, let's call it a couple of dozen at least, uh, large 
food processing and distribution plants in the U.S. have mm. burned down or exploded or been destroyed in one way or another. Uh, first one is a large vegetable and nut processing facility in Durfer, Oregon, engulfed in flames. It basically, 150 people uh, worked there. It burned to the ground. Before that, in Oregon, a massive fire brought down a meat processing plant in Conway, in, in, sorry, in Conway, New Hampshire, uh, after it burned for 16 hours. The uh, facility is completely destroyed. That's the same week. Salinas, California, massive fire at the Taylor Farms processing facility that led to evacuation of residents as it burned for 17 hours. Uh, this is a major agriculture company that processes and delivers many of the salad kits seen in grocery stores. Um, weeks before that, a couple of weeks before that, a massive fire engulfed a Walmart distribution center in Plainfield in Indiana. Over, over 1,000 employees uh, shipped food and other supplies all over the region. The fire destroyed a massive 1 million square foot operation. Wow. The same week, largest, the largest food, one of the largest food facilities of its kind in South Texas caught fire and burned to the ground. Uh, it grew packed, grew packed and shipped a variety of Texas-grown items, including uh, sweet onions, melons, greens, cabbage, and kale. Cause of the fire in all these cases is currently unknown. Uh, another one in Oregon in February, uh, a massive food processing facility suddenly exploded, injuring seven people. Um, suddenly exploded. Yeah. I heard Tucker Carlson once said a boiler, a mobile boiler unit had suddenly exploded. Right. I've just scrolled down a bit more. The fact is that since last year, more than a dozen of these fires and explosions have taken place at food processing and distribution centers in the U.S. Um, Over over a year, okay. But a lot recently. A lot recently, but this is over a year. Uh, And then the the tweet just below that uh, speech... yeah, that one down. Speech Alchemy, click the links. Uh, there's a list there in that tweet of 16 others, mm. which total count is 28. Wow. Uh, and again, at the end of this, we see that, to be clear, in general, uh, gen- general warehouse fires are quite common. Fire departments respond to more than 1,000 a year in the U.S., However, the main cause of these fires is arson, the ones that we're talking about in food processing plants. The main fire cause of these fires is arson. Most of the fires in, in, in general warehouses are, are not caused by arson. Uh, and uh, what's more, fires in food processing facilities are not that common and occur, occur far less often. So, wow. intent, I don't know. Tucker Carlson, I think, mentioned that two of them were hit by airplanes. Yeah. If you expand that out, I mean, if you expand it out just to the point of view of this is looking bad because there's a lot of these facilities, for whatever reason, it's been bad luck because a lot, there's a lot of uh, food processing and distribution facilities have been taken out of action. It's not good for the already existing problems in supply chain or supposed mm. existing problems in supply chain. But if you look at the ones, look at in detail at those ones that we just looked at, a lot of them are unknown. They, they, seem, to, well, they well, seem to be arson. It seems to be, to be someone. Arson set, is set deliberately setting a fire. Right, right. That's so, I mean, crazy. there's a certain number that happened by accident, including in food, food processing plants every year. But if you add in, and if, you tar- if someone is targeting large ones that, you know, that wouldn't be the, under the law of accident type thing necessarily, but is targeting uh, big processing plants uh, That require arson. massive six-alarm fire, you know, uh, responses, right. and yeah. they don't succeed because the entire facility burns to the ground. Yeah. You're talking accelerants, intention yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for that sure. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the phenomenon in France with the burning of churches. 
Um, yeah. It's a whole other story. But uh, around the time of the, the Notre Dame fire, that obviously got the most attention because you know, Notre Dame. But there was another major fire two days prior and they caught the woman attempting to set fire to Paris's oldest church. Mm-hmm. It was actually older, the Saint-Sepulchre, I think. Yeah. It's an older church than even Notre Dame. And she partially succeeded. And she was arrested. Didn't say of her origin where she was from, but that she was mentally you know, unwell. Yeah. So that's just... There are other instances, too, where they've caught people. It's, it's the extent and the scale of it. It's like... It's, for what it's worth, it is a bona fide conspiracy theory discussed widely discussed in France about what the hell is going on right there, you know? yeah it, 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 these, the reason these people are suspicious because it's just willful destruction right there's some I think it's reasonable to, ha- to hold as a tentative conclusion that there's someone some group or groups of people in positions of power who are doing nefarious things deliberately that directly or may eventually directly impact uh, the population uh, in one way or another, that that happens, that that kind of thing actually happens. It's, it, you know, not everything is an accident. There are people, there are actors, I mean that in, in the sense of people who act, uh, who have agency and have power and influence, who have an agenda and who are doing things that are not good for uh, the great mass of humanity, let's say. Uh, what do they want? They want to bring on the eschaton? Or? They just like it. You want a simple answer? They just like it. They're that kind of people. They're that kind of person. Uh, they just like destruction and suffering. Um, if you re- if you realize that, then you've probably realized a lot. If you can bring yourself to accept the idea, um, Shanghai lockdown not over. Thought it was going to be re- uh, kind of relieved or released a little bit, uh, people of Shanghai, but they've kind of doubled down in the past couple of days. Oh. Uh, uh, go to CNN. One example is um, we talked about it last week, actually, and it just this just kind of confirms it. Uh, the CNN article: uh, extreme COVID measures have heavily restricted the lives of re- residents in both cities. That's Hong Kong and Shanghai. Uh, and then. Once China's gateway to the West, heavy-handed border closures and suspended air routes have closed the two cities off to much of the world, even as other hubs open up. On Tuesday, just a single flight arrived in Hong Kong from outside Asia-Pacific, Asia a stark contrast to the pre-pandemic era when the city's airport was one of the world's busiest. Now most of the traffic is outbound, carrying residents fleeing Hong Kong for greener pastures. 180,000 people left the city, while only 39,000 entered. Uh, so this is a whole other type of lockdown. This is like lockdown squared. Yeah. Just scroll down a little bit more. Jörg Rukte, president of the European Union, Union Chamber of Commerce in China, estimates that China has lost about 50% of all European expatriates since the pandemic started. And he warns this there could be another exodus of families this summer when the school year ends. Uh, so teachers leaving, basically a lot of people leaving. So the question there is, you know, uh, what's going on in China? Why are they doing this in Shanghai and Hong Kong and a few other places beyond all reason? We talked about it last week. We thought, like, well, listen, they can't be taking this Omicron business seriously. But if you look back, if you just go to um, newsweek.com, this is from March when Shanghai uh, started, um, or sorry, China kind of, Doubled down again on its on its uh, 
on its lockdowns, on its COVID lockdowns. Um, I think you have it, Scotty. Yeah, you do. It's the second link. And the list, first list I sent you. Um, Newsweek.com. Um, this is from, from back then, and it kind of hasn't really been talked about, I suppose, but uh, recently they just talked about it as a... As a, as a Nope. Yeah, you do. You have it. Uh, it's the second link in the first list I sent you after YouTube. First one was YouTube. The second one was Newsweek. Um, oh, hell, just sent it to you again. Uh, <clears throat> um. A new subtype of the Omicron variant was recently found near Shanghai, China. Again, this is from March, as the country continues to battle its latest virus outbreak. So this is, yeah, the beginning of, of, of what's continuing on now. The latest iteration of the virus evolved from the BA1 one branch of Omicron and was isolated from a mild coronavirus patient in Suzhou City uh, near, near Shanghai. Scientists have said the subtype is not the same as other coronavirus strains that are causing outbreaks in the country causing concern that it may pose a greater threat to the region. Um, so that's basically it. That's the only thing I could really find that would suggest that the Chinese are dealing with something different different from uh, what SARS-CoV-2 but surely, has evolved into, i.e. Omicron, in the rest of the world, that it's uh, different. But by different, it's not just... A strain of SARS-CoV-2 would be something else altogether, despite what this Newsweek report says. It's not the same. They say it's not the, su- the subtype is not the same as other other coronavirus strains. I.e., there's all these coronavirus strains, right? Alpha, beta, delta, whatever, uh, leading to Omicron. But this is something that's different, and uh, there's no. I haven't found any reference to such a thing in anywhere else in the world, basically. Mm. Uh, which you know, and I suppose. Without saying much, just throw up the uh, JPEG uh, biolabs. Um, that is actually from the DOD, Department of Defense. They're the recognized biolabs or admitted to biolabs, Department of Defense biolabs around the world. There, as we know now, there's only, they've only got one in, in Ukraine, as you see, but there's something like 13 in Ukraine, so you can multiply... Uh, those little icons by a lot more uh, in other countries around China. Um, and in the context of the bellicose rhetoric and warmongering that the U.S. has been engaged, engaging in over the past number of years against China and its threats towards China on a similar level to those against Russia, um, the Chinese have to take it seriously when they see... And the Chinese have mentioned when the, when the, when the Russians mentioned the, the, their discovery of, of bio, bio labs in in Ukraine, the Chinese uh, backed them up yeah. publicly and said, yeah, we'd like to know what's going on in these labs that you have all around the country. And you put that together and then you see China um, having a, a fairly extreme reaction to a new subtype, or what they're calling a new subtype that isn't known before of, of SARS-CoV-2. Um, you have to wonder if they're, they don't basically have an eye to some kind of a, uh, a bio-warfare attack that, or at least but, that they suspect a yeah, biowarfare attack they against suspect. China. That's against the thing. China. Is it doing anything? Is this preemptive? Is it doing it? Or, or has it already produced results? So, well, what is giving them the suspicion to do lockdown, like, Don't know. square? That's what, yeah. 
like that's extreme. Only one flight came in. Flights were coming in out of China throughout Hong Kong, yeah, for February, sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. March. But there's something very strange about this, and the, I mean, at this point, I know we talked about it last week, but at this point, the only thing I can think of is that it would be that they're. The Chinese are at the very least suspicious that there's something going on or they have evidence that there's something going on in terms of... But you have something to tell us about that. Yeah, you? Um, you mentioned 13 biolabs in mm. Ukraine. Russia has updated mm-hmm. its uh, latest info. Um, let's have a look at this. This is a report by an Indian analyst writer. Um, the head, headline is kind of sensational, but the details are crazy. Migratory birds of mass deception, uh, mass destruction. Subtitle: The Russians have made the shocking claim that they are actually in possession of migratory birds digitized in the Pentagon's biolabs. Scroll down. Let's, I think we've got to read most of this because it's okay. So first of all, the information he's getting comes from watching it, and the video is embedded in this article. Um, the latest Russian official presentation of what it has discovered in Ukraine, linking together with some other information, I guess concerning Pentagon biolabs in other countries. Um, And it was presented at a special meeting of the UN, I think in Geneva this week. Let's uh, start reading. The UN Security Council held an extraordinary event on April 6th, two weeks ago, sorry, under the rubric of some formula meeting on biological security. Um, predictably, the U.S. and U.K. representatives didn't show up at the event, and the Western media also blacked out the proceedings. The highlight of these proceedings, lasting over two hours, was the disclosure by General Igor Kirillov, chief of the Radiation, Chemical, and Biological Defense Forces of the Russian Armed Forces, that Washington is creating biological laboratories in different countries and connecting them to a unified system. He said the U.S. has spent more than $5 billion on military biological programs since 2005 and detailed that in territories bordering Russia and China alone, about 60 facilities have been modernized during this period. The Ukrainian network of labs is designed to conduct research and monitor the situation. It consists of 30 facilities in 14 populated locations. He goes on to claim that highly sensitive materials from these labs in Ukraine were exported to the U.S. in early February, just before the Russian operation began. And the rest were ordered to be destroyed lest they fall into Russian hands. But the cover-up was only partially successful because, indeed, Russia is now in possession of highly incriminating evidence. Scroll down. Um... There's a video embed. It's two hours long. You can watch. This is the General Kirillov. It's in, he speaks in English. Okay, and just below it, Russia has made specific allegations pointing the finger at Pentagon funding for the biolabs bi- uh, bio in Ukraine. There are locations in not just Ukraine, but 36 countries around the world. Um, <clears throat> the Russians say that diseases and epidemics on which research uh, work is ongoing... Um, focusing on the means for their release the countries where they are being tested and and of course course, experiments relating to coronavirus and bats used to transmit the virus scroll down a bit there however the the US has so far of course point blank refused to accept any supervision and verification of such evidence Um, you can go to the mind boggling there 
a mind-boggling discovery that Russian forces in Ukraine stumbled upon is the use of numbered birds by these labs. This almost falls out of science fiction. The project works something like this. To begin with, the Pentagon accesses the scientific data available with environmental specialists and zoologists after studying the migration of birds and observing them throughout the seasons. Scroll down. On the basis of this data, groups of birds are caught, digitized, and capsules of germs are attached to them that carry a chip to be controlled through computers. The birds are then released to the flock of migratory birds in those target countries toward which the U.S. intelligence has malevolent intentions. Of course, these birds travel great distances, like, for example, albatrosses can go all around the world, but they track them, and during the long flight of birds that have been digitized, numbered basically, in these labs, their movement is monitored step by step by means of satellites and their exact locations determined. The idea is that is that if the CIA or whoever has a requirement to inflict harm on, say, Russia or China or India for that matter, the chip is destroyed when the bird is in the skies. Plainly put, kill the bird carrying the epidemic. Once the digitized bird is killed and the capsule of germs it releases, it carries is released, the disease spreads. It becomes a highly cost-effective method of harming an enemy country without any need of war or coup d'etat or color revolution. The Russians have made the shocking claim that they are actually in possession of such migratory birds digitized in the Pentagon's biolabs. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, the, the, the I Ru- think it's... Well, the Russians made this claim yeah. whenever they first... Not long after they were in Ukraine, and they, there was that situation around the, one of the labs in, in Kharkiv, I think, um, and they got access to information. The Russians made that claim like over over a month ago, um, and the Western media did carry it. If you just throw up that article, I because I, of Hunter Biden's I, connection, I sent it. Yeah, but it was all hushed up. And if when it was reported on, what you got was this: Russia makes claims of U.S. Bi- biological weapon. Fears claims of plot to use birds to spread disease mm. could be a pretext for biological attack by Russia itself. <laughs> that was the way it was spun at the time, and it was end of story. This is just Russia Projective. kind of like projecting or, or, or using this as a ruse to cover up what they're planning to do themselves, which is a, a biological attack in, in Ukraine. Because, of course, Russia wants to drop a bunch of you know, biological weapons in Ukraine and, and kill all of the Ukrainian people. That's, that's the narrative, right? So that's, everybody has to believe that. So... And, and ignore the the facts that point to something else. Um, yeah, it's crazy, but uh, well, it's not crazy to us. And anyone who's been paying attention before this, Bulgarian investigative journalist Diljana <coughs> Gaitancheva, mm-hmm. uh, she's been. I think that slide you showed of admitted DOD labs. Mm-hmm. Well, that has to be massively updated now because yeah. there are obviously a lot more. If there's 60 around just Russia and China alone. Um, anyway, Diljana's research into this kind of global ring and the connections between them. There are some documents that she found before they were removed from mm-hmm. some public sites showing the extent to which they're connected via research and funding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a global system. Yeah, for and sure. Yeah. The Russians are not and smoking crack here no. when... Very much Hunter Biden is smoking crack. Yeah, but, um, the Russians yeah. are—it's a reality-based assessment, and, they, and you know, you know that they know. 
that it's reality-based, even if the details are off, because they just don't turn up to a UN meeting about it. They mm-hmm. don't report on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. If they do report, they preempt mm-hmm. where they suspect mm-hmm. the Russians are going with something and just say, Russia's about to do it. Yeah. They're yeah. about to use birds to spread, spread the plague. Yeah. There, that's it. Dusted. Yeah. I'm not mentioning it again. De- <laughs> debunked. Uh, yeah. Crazy world we live in. But, I mean, it's a Are they that mad? Are they that determined to... Uh, Absolutely. You think sh- about the people... Shit all over the, the world. And you think about people in the... It's been for a very long time. I mean, do a bit of research into the history of, of chemical weapons development or biological weapons development, and you realize that people have been working this for a very long time. And it relates... It relates to SARS-CoV-2 and relates to the research, again, function research and all that kind of stuff. It's a big, you know, it's, it's part of reality. It's part of what these people do, you know, and, they're, and as most people know or should know, the gain of function research was just taking viruses and weaponizing them effectively, making them transmissible, taking viruses that are not transmissible among humans and making them transmissible among humans is gain of function research and has been uh, conducted for a very long time by uh, Western governments and you know, several governments around the world going back a very long time. And, and their only plausible explanation for it, which is really, like, doesn't hold up, is that, well, we want to, uh, we have to weaponize these, the, these viruses that pose no threat to humanity. We have to make them a threat to humanity in order to see what would happen. It's like, you know what, I can tell you what would happen uh, when you weaponize a, a virus and make it transmissible among humans. You're going to kill a lot of people. Do you really need to do that? And of course, you know, I'm not saying that that's done and it has been, you know, those kind of things have been released or have been used or whatever. But, um, you know, there's a military aspect to it. There's obviously You're not a, saying that everyone on board with this stuff sets out to do that. No, or that, that is their intent. Yeah. Of course, they would say that, you know, we'll keep a, make sure they won't get released. We have these, you know, certain levels of bio kind of... Bio, Secure, BSL4, security, BSL blah, blah, blah. four, etc., um, and we can make sure they never get released. But it's good to know what would happen in that situation. Again, I mean, it's 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 not it's not a, a, a very valid argument because it actually has that argument has not held up, and uh, that kind of gain of function research has been shut down by governments in the past. Uh, that argument notwithstanding. I, that argument wasn't wasn't right. valid enough. It's like, look, the U.S. government formally <clears throat> ended it, right, and then started it up again. For, so did they start it up again in, in official capacity, yeah. or was that done officially, officially in two thousand seventeen? So yeah. that was, and it was twenty fourteen that they ended. So three years it lasted, right? Right. And someone said, "No, we really got to get back to this." So yeah, uh, that kind of thing happens, and you're naive if you think it doesn't, and. Uh, well, you're just ignorant if you think it doesn't, but you're also naive if you think that certain people, given the opportunity, would not use that kind of a, a biological weapon uh, in order to achieve their, their political or geopolitical or whatever ideological goals. Uh, but that's that's just that's all part of the reality-based community. If you're not a member of the reality-based community, then you just stick with the BBC and the, and the Guardian and whatever Because they else. have satellite images that prove things. Yeah, they don't need people on the ground. Anyway... Um, I ain't got nothing more, and it's been two hours. Prediction: so, Le Pen or Macron? Uh, What's the latest? I'm not even going to go there. I want to be in France. So, there is no there's a exit poll. There's an exit poll, <coughs> but not not until it'll be an hour or two, yeah, a couple hours too early for that. Um, and they don't tend to release them. You know, they don't tend to speculate. The French are very good about not speculating until they have some hard data, uh, like those uh, those Russian mercenaries creating. Uh, 
uh, fake mass graves in Mali, <laughs> just as the Americans as, as the Americans were leaving, or as the French were leaving. Uh, anyway, yeah, <clears throat> so we'll wait and see, but I wouldn't expect much change anyway, one way or the other. It'd be nice if Le Pen got in because it would make a change from the norm, but, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to question, in this day and age, you have to question the validity of um, Western democracy and the, the basis of it, which is uh, safe and secure elections. Uh, again, reality-based community people have reasonable suspicions about the the safety and security of the electoral process in Western countries, uh, reason to, to, to be suspicious of it. In the context of everything else you know about how the world actually works. And just take conspiracy theory. Every single media outlet in France is for Macron against Le Pen. Yeah. Every <laughs> single... Every government in the EU, which normally protocol is you don't interfere or mention, mm-hmm. they're all pleading with the French people to vote for... Well, four or five years ago, so I mean, that's I mean that's influence. Four or five years ago, the great and the good in, in Western democracies admitted openly that that the Western democracy, in this case, America, the American uh, electoral process, was not safe and secure because Russia was able to hack it and deny Hillary Clinton the win in two thousand sixteen. So again, these things happen just like false flags and uh, fake mass uh, burials and fake and staged provocations, staged killings, and all that kind of stuff. They all happen, but only and I repeat, only when Russia does it. The West never, ever, ever does that. No, only Russia. So Maybe China. Yeah. China doesn't vote Ugh, backwards. Yeah, weirdos. Anyway, uh, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Are we, go- oh, we are going to leave it there, aren't we? We are going to leave it there. I'm okay. done. But uh, I'm done. And uh, everybody- some admin, though. There won't be a live show next week. You never know, though. I might do one on my own. All righty then. There might be a lot no, of No, I'd be surprised. Week. Maybe. You never know. Uh, if not, <laughs> we'll do, probably do one mid, mid, mid next week. week. Mid, May 3rd yeah. or so. Of course, it depends on what happens. Yeah. If, uh, you know, what could happen? I don't know. If an albatross flies over Washington, D.C. and drops a... With a capsule. With a capsule and drops it, drops it on, on Congress, then, you know, we'll have to report <laughs> uh, Yeah. So thanks for, I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for commenting. Commenting is always good. Don't forget to smash all the buttons. Uh, even if you smashed them before, just smash them again because smashing is good. And, uh, and then buy a new keyboard. And then buy a new keyboard. And we'll be back next week with, or soon thereafter, with another show, uh, keeping you up to date. So until then, have a good whatever. See you next Day. week. Bye. See ya. Can't stop the signal now.